Good, good to be with you on this very special occasion uh, of Pastor Victor's birthday. And I know it's also Pastor's Appreciation Month. So I trust that you guys have come prepared to bless the socks off of your pastor. Yeah. Make him so happy. He'll call me up and share some of it with me. My goodness, you know, I am... I, I'm so excited. I don't know where to start, man. I, I walk in and I see Abraham. I see Pastor Ephraim and these men of God that I remembered from back in the days. So I, I was so overcome with nostalgia. It didn't matter what either one of them was saying. I just sat there smiling like this. <laughs> I just kept saying, look at this. Look what God has done. And uh, just feeling so honored, you know, to be here. On this, I mean, it's an honor to be here on any occasion because of what this house means to my wife and I. You're talking about all the churches that spun off from here. Don't forget, when God called us, we were where? In Calvary. And the prophetic voice that God used to kick me out of the comfort zone of sitting in the pews was that voice right there. And I believe that voice right there just prophesied over me again. I received what you just said. I receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm already on TV, but not for, for, for preaching. You know, I did a commercial for my county executive up in Westchester who's running for re-election, so I'm all over the TV. And I come to find out it's also running in New York as well, uh, Rob Astorino. Uh, I've, I've aligned myself with him because he's a man of the people, and he's a good man. He's a man of integrity. He's bold, and he's not afraid. And he stands up for the values that I believe in. So I catch a lot of heat from some of the uh, pastors in my community because I don't dance the same dance they dance. But I support anybody, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I think the only thing that God calls me to judge between is good and evil. So uh, I'm not playing that game. The only responsibility I have to judge between is good and evil. I don't care what side of the aisle, if it's coming from the left or the right, if it's good, it's good, and it has my stamp of approval. And if it's evil, it's evil. I don't care where it's coming from. And so I think that if I lose that ability, then I've, I'm no good to the community. So un, unwillingly, I became somewhat of a public figure in my community because People already knew me, but now from that, everywhere I go, I'm in the gym, everywhere I go. I went into the, to a little coffee shop up in Mamaroneck a couple of weeks ago, and I was, I was refilling my coffee. And the guy who was the owner says, I thought that was you I saw on TV. He said, that was you, right? And I said, yeah, it was me. I said, does that mean my coffee's free? He said, no. <laughs> I pay for that. So... So being on TV may not necessarily get you free coffee, but at least people who you owe money know where to find you after that. But uh, great to be here. Oh, my God. You know, I just left my church, and um, today I had to make a big announcement to my church. Um, you know, we, we just bought a building last year, and, and if you've been up there, Pastor Victor knows it's a nice building, three floors. We've got 24,000 square feet, three floors. It's the sanctuary is like each floor is about 8,000 square feet. So we got, we got room now to do what we want to do. We haven't even looked at the third floor yet. We don't know what's up there. I mean, it's, we have room. And we're right on Main Street in, in the city of New Rochelle. Directly across the street from us is the first of six high-rises, luxury condominiums that's coming to our community in this new gentrified period in our history. So what we're saying is over the next 10 years, another 20,000 people will move into our city from other parts of the city and other parts of the country. New Rochelle is becoming a small New York City. And the first of these projects are literally straight across the street from us. We're watching this happen before our eyes. And we're saying, God, we, your timing is impeccable. It's amazing, God how we even ended up buying this building for just $1 million in this time and in this season. It had to be God. <clears throat> it had to be God. So there we are. And uh, this year we had slated, you know, some renovations to be done. And we put a schedule together, a timeline, which involved us moving out for three months 
so that the work can be done. But we're going to take all those pillars out and shift the weight to the side. And after paying a lot of money to a lot of people, um, one guy said to me, you shouldn't even think about doing this. These, these are structural columns that go straight to the top of the building, and you're on the first floor. To remove these, is, it's uncertain what, you know, at what price it would be in terms of time and money, and you don't want to start this project for somebody to tell you, oh, my bad, we didn't know, and you end up paying three times as much for it. He says, I'd suggest you learn to love these columns. Well, just as I was starting to fall in love with them, God opened a door for us. Three doors down from us, I discovered an old movie theater with a balcony. The last of its kind in our city. I wanted to take Pastor Victor there last week, but he had to go. The last of its kind in our city. And I told the owner, I said, we want this. And he said to me, Rev, you know, we can work something out. I said, no, I want to buy this. He said, well, honestly, it's not for sale. Um, I said, no, seriously, I want this. We have to. And I wouldn't move. He wanted to leave. And I'm standing there telling him, no, we want this building. And he says to me, well, it's complicated because this building is a part of four other properties. It has all these storefronts connected to it. And it, it takes up half the block. And it's it immediately adjacent to my property. So from my property down, there's a, there's a nightclub and four storefronts and then the theater. So he said, I can't sell you unless I get it changed by law into a condominium and sell you part in part. He said, but that's complicated. In three days, he got back to me and he said, look, I still have a mortgage on this place, so forget about buying it. But he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it easy for you to come in here. I said, listen, I'm a property owner now. I ain't leasing nobody's property. He says, I understand, but take a look at what I'm sending you before you make a decision. And when you see what I'm sending you, if you don't like it, call me up. And me and you, and my wife and your wife, this is the level he wants to negotiate. Me and you, my wife and your wife, will sit down and we'll work something out because I want you in there. I said, wow. He said, no, no, no. When I saw you walk through that place with your kids and to see the relationship you have with your kids, that they are working with you in the ministry and that they're just as excited about this thing as you are. He says, I went home and I told my wife, I said, this, I got to give this man this, this place. So wait, he said, until Thursday or Friday, my lawyer will send you something. And you take a look at it. Tell me what you think. Well, when the man sent me what he sent me, I just got to testify because this is the Lord's doing. And I want to encourage somebody. I want to encourage somebody. When the man, then I'm going to preach. When the man sent me, when the man sent me, what he sent me, my jaw hit the floor because I was paying $15,000 a month up the street for a space that wouldn't even compare, that would fit into this space three times, that wouldn't even compare. We're talking about an old-fashioned movie theater with high ceilings and a balcony. And when he showed me the lease, even if I stayed in this place 10 years leasing it, I wouldn't come close to what I was paying in that other place. And I said to my, my wife, I said, we need to bring this to the board and to the team now. So I brought it to the board. The board said, it's nice. We took them. They walked through it, took a team of leaders through. Everybody's jaw dropped. They said, we have to. Everybody to a man says, we have to have this place. And so we went ahead and we, uh, we signed a deal. I sat down with that man and his wife. And let me just show you the favor of God. And, and, I, and, and here's what I want to say about that. When God sends you to a city, you don't have to fight people. You, you just do your part and God will clear the way for you. You just fight the battles that he wants you to fight and leave the rest up to him. You know what happened? I sat down with that man. I, I, I was looking at two proposals for, to put in an HVAC system in the theater, Pastor Victor. One was $64,000 for a system with a duct that went right down the middle and blows the air this way. Or if you want to put it in the wall, however, 64000 But that's not as efficient. The efficient one is when they put these little carrier, these Mitsubishi units in, in different parts of the place. And they say those are extremely efficient. They'll save you a lot of money. But that's 104000 when the man saw my wife's face, he said, because 
You know, my wife always wants the best. You know, my wife, if you show my wife, you know, gold and platinum, she'll say, I'll take the platinum, you keep the gold. That's how she is, you know. So when the man saw my wife's heart, when she said, well, I think we should have this other system. I'm like, babe, that's too expensive. The guy looked at me and says, no, his wife looked at me and says, you guys put the other system in and we'll pay the difference. You put the $104,000 system in and we will pay the difference. I didn't even tell my church that much this morning. But this, I just shared this with my church. And I'm telling you, folks, if I didn't see the favor of God in that thing or in anything I've done, I saw it there. This Jewish man says, look, if I could have given you this place, I would have given it to you, but I can't. It's a family business. But we want you in there. So you go ahead and do what you want to do. I will make it easier for you to do it. Come on. Is God a good God or what? Hallelujah. My God in heaven. So I just broke that news to my church. And I, I took a few questions and I said, listen, I got to go to the Bronx and preach. And I ran out and left them sitting there stunned. I think they're still sitting there, Pastor Victor. What just happened here? So God is good, and I, I testify that he has is, is, is been good. This is a year of, unanswer, of unanswered prayers where God is answering so many. If I begin to share all the testimonies with you, it might seem as if I'm boasting, but I just wanted to share with you, be encouraged. Whatever you're standing, believing God for, you know, here's my thing I've always told God, you know, I believe integrity wins in the end, Pastor Victor. And I've seen a lot of people take shortcuts and do things, and they seem to have moved ahead of me. And I kept saying, you know, God, I'm going to just stick to my guns. I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. And, I'm gonna be, and I said, you have to vindicate this, that even if good guys finish last, good guys do finish well. Amen. Amen. And I believe God is, I think my father smiled when I said that and said, son, you got the right idea, and I'm about to bless you. I want to say this to you, Calvary, down here in this neck of the Bronx. Your stock is rising. Your stock is rising in this place. And, and there's a resurgence of what God has begun to do. When you guys were in the glory days back in Harlem and you thought that was over, I said to you, today your stock is rising. And you're going to see God begin to cause your church to become front and center again. I told you that last Sunday after you preached. Your church is going to come front and center again in this community. And I'm telling you this. I'm sad to say this to you. You may have to be getting rid of this place soon. Because I know y'all just put a lot of, you put a lot of work into this. But I'm sorry to tell you, you might have to be looking for a new home soon. But I'm going to leave that with you and God. Amen. Well, praise God. Good to see you, Pastor Gwen, back there. See, she's back there, and, and my lovely wife is, you know, she's here. She's sitting back there with her friend. The two of them are giggling like two schoolgirls. I'm going to just leave that alone. Let me open the Bible and share something with you today, and uh, my heart is to encourage you today. I want to share a word today, and I want to give it the title, Wake Up, Grow Up, and Step Up. Wake Up, Grow Up. And step up. And I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to use three different uh, passages of scripture to speak to us today. So I can make this theme make sense for you. But I think it will be good for you. I want to start however with Galatians chapter 3. Verses 26 through 28. And then I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity and for the occasion that brings me here, Lord God, to this great church. Thank you for Pastor Victor and for this work that he is doing here. Thank you for those who come alongside him to hold up his hands and 
Thank you for this season, Lord, when I declare that you are exalting the horn of his strength. Thank you, God, even that you've given him yet another year. Thank you for this birthday. And we celebrate his life and we thank you, O God, for the gift that he is to the body of Christ. I declare that the world is a better place because of his presence in it. I ask that you will preserve him. I ask that you will keep him. And I ask, Lord, that you will cause the best of his years to be seen in the rest of his years. Now bless this time. Breathe on this word. Charge it with your power. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Let everybody say. Amen. Amen. So, you know, we're living in a time of, we're seeing unprecedented levels of disturbances around us. We see a lot of natural disasters. About a month or so now, we've seen the southern part of Houston, Texas, completely wiped out by rain. More recently, Puerto Rico, uh, the whole island. And I know many of you have family and friends there. Um, and you're still probably waiting to hear from them. I have a few Puerto Ricans in my church as well. Some have heard from their families, others have not. And so we're kind of hanging in there with you where that is concerned. We saw the uh, uh, hurricane, was it Iris? She came through and she wrecked St. Martin, Barbuda, and several other islands. And we have people from those islands in our church as well. So we are constantly... uh, you know, exposed to the fallout effects of what has happened there. And some of you may not know because of all these other disasters that California is still burning, parts of Arizona, I believe in parts of Nevada. Forest fires are raging out of control, displacing a lot of people and destroying hundreds of thousands of acres of property. We also saw within a 30-day span of time, Mexico hit with two huge earthquakes. The first was an 8.0 and the second was a 7.5. They're still digging people out from there and we'll wait to see what happens. On the other side of the world, Sierra Leone, West Africa, monsoon season came and created huge mudslides. Thousands of people have been displaced from their homes. Hundreds have died and those who have survived are displaced from their homes and creating a refugee situation. At the same time, in our country, we can see a lot of division that's coming. Racism has reared its ugly head again, and there's a lot of controversy going on. Um, Some of you, like myself, who are football fans are a little, uh, I don't know what your feelings are, but uh, I just want to watch football. You know, I'm serious, honestly. But I do understand Colin Kaepernick wanting to make a difference, wanting to start a conversation But somebody has changed the narrative, and it's no longer about racism. It's now about the anthem and respect for our veterans, which I'm very high on. So unless we change the narrative and get the conversation back where it should be, a lot of things are going to go wrong. And we we just can't seem to get on the same page about that. Also, we see a lot of saber-rattling between the nations in particular, Kim Jong-un, or as Mr. Trump calls him, Rocket Man. He's on a suicide mission and he's provoking the rest of the world as if it were possible to what could be World War III. And if you watch the news and if you pay attention to all of what's going on in all of the division in our country between political parties and if you pay attention to what's happening with the division of racism and the division of uh, ideologies of different kinds, you have to ask yourself, God, what is really happening in this world? Where is this going? And I just want to tell you that I'm not here today to come to preach to you and tell you that Jesus is about to come soon, so pack your bags, stop doing what you're doing, and start looking up to the skies. I didn't come to tell you that. I leave somebody else to preach that message to you. I did come to tell you a couple of things today that I think you will find helpful if you take it into serious consideration. This is an apostolic message that I'm sharing with you today. So I have my apostolic hat on today, not my pastoral hat. So I may offend some of you today because of some of the things that I'm going to say. I may even challenge some of you doctrinally today. 
with some of the things that I'm going to say. But nevertheless, I pray that the Spirit of God would give you a heart to hear and to receive what, what I'm saying. Why am I doing this? Because I believe this is what God is saying to the church. And so I'll risk preaching this anywhere I go because I believe that God is really speaking to his church in a way that we need to hear the voice of God so we can be ready. And what God is saying to his church is to wake up. He's saying to his church, we need to grow up. And he's saying to his church, we need to step up. I'm going to make that clear to you in the next few minutes. But let me just give you this. Threefold reason why I'm here. One, I'm going to give you a theological framework from which to better make sense of what you're seeing in the world around you. In other words, if you've been asking, what is happening? Where are we on the timetable of God? Where are we in the prophetic unfolding of God's eschatology? I'm going to give you something with that. Second thing I want to do today is I want to awaken and call you, sons and daughters of God, into your divine destiny. In the face of all that is going on, I believe that God is calling us into our divine destiny. Your pastor came to my church last week and he preached about the shift. I believe that we're speaking similar things in the spirit. And I want you to hear what I'm saying to you today or hear what the Lord is saying to you on today. This is a very serious time in our history. The third thing I want to do is I want to challenge you to step into your calling to be stewards of what God is doing in the earth. There are things that God is doing in the earth and God is looking for mature sons and daughters who understand, pastor, I'm not just called to be a pastor in this year church, but I'm called to be a steward of a region. I'm called to be an apostolic presence over a region. Now, some of us have a larger swath of authority that God has cut out for us, and we've got to know where our power is. Your power works best when you understand where your region is, where God has called you to work your stuff. I know where God has called me to work my stuff. I can't do it all over the world, but where he has given me authority, stuff will happen there for me. And I want you to think that way and understand that greater things are waiting to happen when we embrace this and when we begin to walk this way with that anticipation that God is calling me and is asking more of me than to simply pastor a church. Perhaps he's also calling me to be a steward of a community, of a region. And so I'm going to call some of you, if you're not pastoring, into what God, where God has planted you, perhaps God has something more for you there than just for you to earn a paycheck. Perhaps God has business ownership for you more than just for you to work for someone else. Perhaps inside of you is an idea that has been bubbling over in you and you don't know what to do with yourself. And maybe, just maybe God has called me here today to tell you, yes, it's me. You need to let go of the secure safety blanket that you've been holding on to and step out into what you know in your heart that I'm calling you to. I'm going to just preach this and leave it in the atmosphere and let the Spirit of God work with it the way he wants to. Stay with me now. And the reason why I think it's critical at this time is here's what I want to tell you. I do not believe the world can be better without you. I do not believe this hurting, sick, confused, sinful world will ever be better without the church. That's you. That's me. I believe there's a reason why God has left us here. Amen. To be a presence in this earth. It's not just to suffer and go through and fight spiritual warfare for no good reason. If it's all going to go to hell one day, then it's useless for us to even stay here and fight for it. You might as well come and take me now, Jesus, because... Why are we wasting our time? So my point is, the world cannot be better without the church. Hmm? And so, there's something to be said about the sons of God coming into maturity at this time and accepting the stewardship that God wants to entrust us with. There is something there. The third thing is that the charge that Jesus left us was this. Occupy until I come. And so I want to get you focused on occupation. 
not get you, you know, more caught up with the preoccupation of exiting. I want to help you understand that Jesus will come. When he comes, no man knows. But I want to suggest to you that all of these signs that we're seeing may not necessarily be a sign of the coming of the Lord because we've always had natural disasters. We've always had cataclysmic upheavals on, on the planet. We've, this is not the first time we've had global warming or what they call climate change. We've, we've always had things that have led the generations before us to think maybe Jesus was coming in their time. Rather than be fooled and to drop our gods and to, to have wrong expectations, I want to call your attention to what God wants you to see right now. Because if the devil can dupe the church into giving up, to thinking that there's nothing left to conquer, nothing left to do but save a few souls before Jesus comes, something, something, something needs to be fixed. Amen, somebody. I believe this, that we've been redeemed for a higher calling. I believe there's something to be said when Jesus told the disciples, he said, pray this way. Our father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe there's something to be said about when Jesus met Zacchaeus and uh, when he declared to Zacchaeus, he said, you, 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 just, you, just, you just attained unto righteousness, Zacchaeus, your repentance he said, listen, you too are a son of Abraham. And he said, but let me also make a statement to you. He said, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't say those who were lost, but he used the word that which was lost. I want to submit to you that all of creation is lost, not just man. Man is the gateway through which sin entered into the world. But as a result and a consequence of man's sin, all of creation then fell under the sway of sin. Amen, somebody? Amen. So when Jesus says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost, I suggest that Jesus may have been after something more than just to save your soul, but to save your soul for a purpose that is beyond what we may currently understand. And that is what I want to share with you on today. And that is why this preacher is crazy enough to believe that there's still more to come. This preacher is crazy enough to believe that these are still the best days of the church. I'm here to tell you that when we finally wake up and become, step into what God has saved us for, indeed, the world is going to see the church unveiled like he has never seen the church before. The devil is going to have to deal with a wakened church at least once. Before we leave here. The devil is going to see the church in all of her glory. The devil is going to see what the kingdom of God looks like. When sons and daughters step up into their destiny. And to begin to bring the kingdom of God into their community. Into their region. And so I believe that Psalm 24 and verse 1 says it. And I want to repeat it for you today. And it is this. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof it was fallen when David said that the devil had already took controls from Adam when David said that but David still had an understanding that the devil is only an interloper his reign on this earth is not permanent that's why the, what the first Adam failed to do the last Adam has succeeded in Hear me well. Jesus is referred to as the last Adam. And until we begin to understand why there's a, there is he seen as the last Adam, you may not understand this message today. But it is not my role to give you everything I know along these lines today. But let me give you these three things. First, it's this. It's time to wake up. What Romans 8, which is a text I want to look at now, is telling us. Regarding the divine timetable of God is that it is time for the church to wake up. In Romans 8 chapter 19, just to get right to it, it says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Who's waiting? The creation. That refers to everything that God created that has come under the curse. 
For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to the decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And get this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Ever read that? Well, how does that speak to the calamity and natural disaster? Simply to say this. I believe that before sin came, there was never a volcano. There was never an earthquake. There was never a typhoon or a tornado. But after sin came, the earth came under. The Bible says, it was su- the Bible says creation was subjected to frustration or to futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one. That is God who subjected it in hope. In hope of what? That the, the last Adam would come and redeem what was fallen. And so creation knows something we don't. Mother Earth knows something that the rest of us need to know. That's why Mother Earth is screaming and groaning and saying, Sons of God, it's time for you to awaken into your destiny and into the purpose for which you have all been redeemed. I am waiting for my own redemption. And until you, 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 yes, you, you, you rise up into your destiny and begin to become the stewards of what God wants to do in this earth at this time, you, you, I cannot be set free from this curse of sin How many of you know that the earth has a life of its own? Isn't it interesting that when Cain killed his brother Abel, the Bible says God called out to Cain and said, Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is calling out to me where? From the earth. It suggests to me that the earth, just like we can, communicate with the creator. The earth is also inextricably tied and connected to the one who created it. And the earth communicates back. And I believe when the earth groans, an earthquake happens. Hurricane Irene happens. Sandy happens. A wicked monsoon happens and causes mudslides and washes... I believe the earth is just groaning because it's saying, sons of God, awaken. Come on, wake up. There's more for you to understand about the redemptive work of Jesus. He didn't just come to save you from your sin. He came to make you a redeemer of the rest of creation. I got a picture of Jesus, Hebrews 10 says that by this one offering, Jesus paid the price for sin and he sat down at the right hand of God. There, from there, he waits till all his enemies be made his footstool. Is Jesus going to come? Yeah, when is he going to come? When all of his enemies have been brought into subjection to the church. So sons of God, daughters of God, awaken. Wake up from your slumber. We're not playing games. God has got bigger fish to fry than what color we should paint the walls of the church. Or how much we should allocate to this budget and that budget. Listen, God's got bigger things that he's trying to get done. If we would just stop the bickering and the fussing and the fighting about who's going to be on the worship team and who sings the best and who we'd rather hear preach. If we would just understand that church is not a place for that. We ain't got time. Heaven doesn't have time for that. God's got bigger fish to fry. And you have a destiny. It's more than just to be an usher. Hallelujah, somebody. I mean, the worst thing in church is to tell somebody, you can't usher anymore like it's the end of the world. Jesus didn't die to make you a deacon. Thank God that you you get a chance to serve in church, but God didn't die to make you an usher. 
Isn't it amazing? Some of us get so caught up with the little myopic right now stuff that we forget that God has saved us for more. And I just want to call you today to wake up. I don't, I don't want to spend more time on this because I got, got to get to the next thing. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 24. So God is not telling us it's time to go up. He's saying it's time to wake up. Are you with me? I don't know when Jesus is coming. I can't tell you. Jesus even said, I don't even know. I don't know which theologian knows more than Jesus. I don't know which preacher is more anointed than the Son of God. Jesus said, I don't even know. And so I want the church to understand what we need to study and be good at is what it means to occupy. What it means when we talk about expanding the kingdom or bringing God's kingdom into a particular situation. Those are the things that we need to begin to major on. Stop worrying about which one has this doctrinal perspective and which one has it right about the second coming. Nobody knows. I do know one thing. He's expecting us to occupy and he's expecting us to get that right. Because he said this. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? In other words, will I find a church that has understood what it means to take territory, to conquer, to subdue, and to bring everything in its community to the feet of Jesus? So we have to go back and adjust our vision statement. But it's okay anyhow. Mother Earth is growing because she's tired of the sinfulness of man. She's tired of man dumping on her. She's tired of us having the church, not even having an understanding that our calling encompasses even that. It wasn't meant to go to the wacko, crazy environmentalist people. I'm not saying all of them are, but some of them go to extremes, you know. It was meant for you to be the steward because you understand or you're supposed to understand. Even more than those about creation. Those who don't even believe in creation. You and I are supposed to be on the forefront. Here's one thing I want to tell you before I move to my next point. You see all the stuff about global warming? Listen to me very carefully. There's nothing you or I could do about it. You don't have to believe me. Every change we make contributes only a scintilla, less than 1% to global warming. So it's bigger than what we are doing. Are you listening to me? And why am I not worried about it? It's not because I don't care about the earth. I'm not worried because God has a plan. And God who created the earth can renew the In fact, he has a plan to renew the earth. So whatever the earth is going through right now, they're afraid it's going to die. It ain't going to die because my Bible tells me he's going to make all things new. And creation is going to be redeemed. So I'm not worried about the earth from that humanistic perspective. My Bible tells me that God's got that under control. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven and I will do what? Heal what? The land. The land. land. I have a friend named Israel Pokhtar. And he has a pastor in Ashdod, Israel. He came to my church to preach a couple of years ago. And he tells me that there are places in Israel that when they went there, the land was nothing but hard, you know, dry, arid, sand. And nothing could grow there. And as they began to establish a presence there, they would walk through the land and pray. Repent of the sins and pray and pour oil and wine into the land. He shows me a picture. He says, olive trees are growing here now. They're flourishing. He says, look at what God has done because of us. Do you hear me, sons of God? I know we're city dwellers, so we don't think about the land in that sense. But I want to tell you, when repentance begins to happen, God will literally heal the land. 
when sons and daughters of God begin to rise up and come into their own, the earth will literally be healed. Romans, Hebrews, there was a guy named Moses. And what, 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 what Moses' story tells us is that we need to grow up. There was a guy named Moses, and Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 says it this way. He says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. He regarded the disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses when he had grown up. So Moses for 40 years of his life lived under a false identity. Pretending to be Egyptian when he knew good and well he was Jewish. Some of God's people spend too much, too much, most of their years living under a false identity. You've been saved, you've been coming to church, but you've been walking and living under a false identity. And I came to tell you, you are not that, but you're something else. You're not what, you know, what others have said about you. Perhaps you grew up in a Latino home and because you come from a Catholic background. And so you got to Pastor Victor's church one Sunday morning and you got saved and now you're coming to this church. And and, and so now you're no longer regarded as a Catholic, but you're now an evangelical. But if that's all you understand your Christianity to be, you're you're still missing it. You're woefully off. If all Christianity to you is I go to that church over there and we sing songs and we we have a great time and then we we hear a good message and we come home and you're not doing anything else. Your life is just a a little battle to survive until Sunday again. You're walking under a false identity. And I want to tell you, until you step up and accept the full package of what God has for you, you will never know the full blessing that God has. You'll never see the power that can work for you in your life. So here's Moses, playboy probably, grew up in Pharaoh's palace. And I know you know Moses as a holy man, but the first 40 years of his life, he wasn't. He probably had a lot of women like a any son of a pharaoh would have, have his own harem, doing his own thing, riding around in the shiniest chariots. Yo, Mo, what's up? He was the man. That was his life. But every time he looked at the Hebrew people, something in his heart would go, oh. Because he knew that that's where he belonged. But look what happened. It wasn't until the Bible says he had grown up at 40. It took him a generation to finally realize this isn't who I am. And I'm sure Moses many nights went to his bed thinking, I really ought to stop this charade. I think that there's more. Anytime you are born for higher things, there's something inside of you that never lets you be satisfied with anything less than the thing. And your heart will always be be pulled towards and drawn towards something of purpose, something bigger than just the, the mundane that you've been given on a daily basis. Come on, if you're meant to eat filet mignon and poach lobster and butter, you're not going to be happy with oatmeal and, 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 and bacalao con guineitos. Actually, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. We'll keep that. When you're supposed to be eating sea bass and 
stuffed with crab meat and you'll never be happy. You're, 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 something in you will always be like, yeah, this is good, but something in you will always be crying for more. And I submit to you that Moses, until he got to that place, something pushed him and nagged him. He would go to bed at nights and kept thinking, you know, I, I need to stop this charade and be what I'm called to be. And then one day it finally came to a head and the Bible said he grew up in a moment and he made a mature choice. What am I talking about Moses for? Because here's a couple of things. One, we as sons of God are going to need to learn what it is to make mature choices. You cannot walk in the destiny that God has called you to walk in keeping that same old mindset. You need a whole new mind to embrace where God is taking you. You need a whole new mentality, a whole new outlook, a whole new sense of self to walk in what God has called you to walk in. Several years ago, I met a guy named Sunday at Elijah. He quickly became one of my mentors, and I began to make trips to Ukraine to spend time with him. And they would have these 10-day prayers and fasting times outside of the city in a campground. And I, I was crazy enough to join up with them and started going to these 10-day fasts. I'd go in July for the summer fast and in, in December for the winter fast. And I remember the first year I went there, July 23rd, 2007, I was leaving my house to get on a plane, and I twisted my ankle so bad, I literally had to get up and pull my foot back and snap it back into place. And my wife said to me, you need to go to the hospital. I said, I need to go to the airport. And they took me to the airport. And she sadly said goodbye to me. In about two hours, my ankle was as big as a watermelon, but it was, I was committed. I, didn't gonna let it, I wasn't going to let anything stop me from making that trip because I felt God wanted to shift my life and do something for me that I desperately needed done. In all my years, I've been walking this thing, trying to do stuff. I saw somebody that was doing something at a level that I'd never imagined a human being could do it. And I said, even if I can never be as great as this man, if I can just get a scintilla of the anointing on this man's life, I'm going to go and pray with him for 10 days. So put me on the plane. I'll deal with the ankle when I get there. My ankle was so swollen, I had a fever and I couldn't get off the plane. They had to come and get me with a wheelchair. But I said, at least I'm in Ukraine. Make a long story short, God, the second day I was there, God touched my ankle. The swelling didn't go down, but the pain went. And I was able to walk around without any problem. And I was able to stay there for 10 days. And God rocked my world. I had never been around people that prayed with such passion. I had never heard testimonies like the ones I heard. Ordinary people, ex-prostitutes and drug addicts who are now in government. I started watching people, you know, who now have thriving businesses that were orphans and left on the street. And I hear stories of how God redeemed them and brought them back. My life was, 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 was changed. And I remember that I was coming back on the plane. And Pastor Victor, as God is my witness, I tell you in this church, as I came over the New York region, as the plane, oh, Ah, shut up. As a plane came over the New York region, something just shifted in me. And I felt a sense of self, a sense of authority. I, I, I wanted to jump upon a plane and begin to speak in tongues, and I had, to, I had to calm myself down. Remember, I'd been soaking for 10 days, eating only nuts and drinking hot tea, praying 12 hours a day. I'm telling you, when that anointing hit me, it hit me when I came over to New York. And I just felt a whole new sense of God putting a mantle of authority in my life like I never had before. I've been a different man ever since. Nothing scares me any longer. The only thing that scares me is missing God. Moses would have missed God if he had stayed living in this pseudo-identity. You know what the Bible says about Moses after all is said and done? The Bible says that there was no man more faithful than Moses in over his administration of God's house. None. You know what the Bible says about Moses? The Bible says, I talked to all of my prophets through dreams and with dark sayings, but Moses, I talked to that brother face to face. Yeah, Egyptian Moses, pretender Moses. Moses would never have been able to hear those words spoken over his life had he kept living a life of pretense. I'm telling you that there are some things waiting to be said about you, but you got to wake up and grow up into maturity to begin to walk into that destiny that God has called you to. 
And when you leave here, what they will say about you will change other people's lives. What they will say about you, Abraham, will cause other people to be inspired and say, I never knew him, but I wanted to be like him. Moses grew up and he made a choice and he made a mature choice. And what it is, when you make a mature choice, it means that you're willing to embrace whatever obedience to God will bring into your life. Let me say it again. Moses made a mature choice, and when you make a mature choice, you're willing to embrace whatever your obedience to God will bring into your life. What does that mean? Obedience will bring you to blessing. That's what we preach and teach. But sometimes obedience will bring you into suffering. Lived it, been there, done that. And the point is not whether blessing or suffering. The point is to be obedient to God. And a mature choice is choosing that even if this is going to cost me something, even if people are going to talk about me now, I'm willing to wait for the day of my vindication because when that day comes, it'll be awesome. It'll be sweet. Come on, somebody. I'm willing to wait for my blessing. I will delay my gratification and do what God wants me to do now. The reason why many people won't grow up is because they know that you're going to have to make choices that may cost you now. And you're not willing. You fear loss so much. But let me tell you, God pays you back. And he pays you back more than double. I wouldn't be telling you this if I hadn't gone through this. He pays you back more than double. If I had time, I'd tell you a story, but I don't. Last thing is this. So Galatians is where we read. Let me give you that. Now sit down. Thank you for giving me a few extra minutes. Sorry, Pastor Victor. That's what happens when you keep me from coming here for two straight years. I've got to preach everything I know in one message. Stay with me. Galatians tells us a couple of things. And I'll make this quick. I close this. I won't even look at my notes. You know why I started with Galatians? Because Galatians is really where, where we want to end up. This whole idea about waking up, growing up, and stepping up. Here's the thing. Paul is making a case here. Paul recognizes that we as human beings have a tendency to hide behind labels things that we put on ourselves to identify ourselves as whatever we want to be. And the more we identify ourselves, the more we separate ourselves. The more distinctions we put on ourselves, the more we distinguish ourselves from other people. And what Paul was trying to tell the church is, listen, please stop that. I want you to understand that this deal that you have now, he says, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, And then he goes on to say, there's no more Jew nor Greek. In other words, Paul is saying, your race doesn't matter anymore, even if you're Jewish. Even if you're Jewish. Your ethnicity is not an issue in the kingdom of God. I'm I'm a Jamaican man. My father is from Cuba. And I enjoy both cultures, you know, not necessarily Cuban culture, but both Puerto Rican and Dominican culture, because that was the prevalent culture in New York. But I enjoy the food, you know, I enjoy everything, I enjoy the music, but that's not the first thing and the most important thing anyone needs to know about me. That's not what I walk in. I don't walk in my Jamaican Cubanness. I walk in my Jesusness. The first thing I want you to know about me is that I'm a man that's been redeemed by Jesus and anything you see me do know it's all because I'm grateful to him for what he's done if you want to understand my life understand it in that context I'm so grateful that God saved me so he says don't let your race become an issue and you see all this racism and this division that's going on black church white church Latino church this church listen to me none of that is kingdom so much I understand culture but he's saying just be the church And when I look in here, I see all different faces in here. And that's what the kingdom is going to look like. Because we're going to all learn to get along as one family up there. He says, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, the only thing people need to know about you right now is that you belong to Jesus. 
That's why I can go as far as Ukraine and have Russian people treat me with dignity and love and respect and not mind the color of my skin. And I'm going to tell you, they're very prejudiced in Russia. They don't like black people there. But in the church, I've seen the beauty of the glory of God. When God covers your eyes, you no longer look at people for the color of their skin or what you just see a brother, you just see a sister. I've experienced love and hospitality at a level that you will not believe. All because of Jesus. And when people learn to embrace this and walk in this, you begin to show the world that the church is the answer. The church is not confused. If you want to get the races together, Come on over here in the Jesus side. Because over here it's a level playing field. Then he says there's no more bond or free. In other words, your status doesn't matter. In church, a judge could sit next to an ex-convict and know him only as brother. Where else in the world does that exist? No place but in the church. And until we begin to to step into this and walk into this, we're not going to be able to show the world what God is calling us to show the world. So God is telling us to step up. Step into your identity and begin to flesh it out. Your identity is Jesus and nothing more. Your culture and your ethnicity, that is the subtext to your life. But the macro text to your life is that you are a man or a woman that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that's what makes you who you are. And the last thing, there's no male, no female. God only made two genders. You're male or you're female. You may be male and confused about it, but you're still male. You may be female and confused about it. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. You may be female and confused about it, but you're still female. So how do we work this out? I give you this and I sit down because this will help the church. The world wants you to celebrate the confusion. God says that's not the answer. If you're a man or woman that has gender confusion issues, if you have same-sex attractions, if you used to live the gay lifestyle and you've now come to Jesus, the first thing I want to ask you to do is this. Don't call yourself a gay Christian. Call yourself a Christian first. Because you have what? Put on Christ. Do I still have struggles with same-sex attractions? Yes. But I have put on Christ. I identify first with Christ. I'm going to love and worship Christ. I'm going to study and try to be like Christ. And if I do that, I'm going to become like Christ. And Christ is not confused about who he is. The problem is the world wants you to take the identity of say you are you know since Matthew Vines wrote that book God and the Gay Christian it has given life to a culture that was dormant I know a lot of Christians are running talking about I'm a Christian and God loves me and I'm a gay Christian no you're a Christian first and until you learn to understand what it means to belong to Christ first if you don't come out from under that identity that the world has put on you, you'll never overcome your struggles. You'll be celebrating that for the rest of your life. And I'm telling you, I don't have the keys to heaven to tell you you're going to get in if you don't repent of your sins. I came to tell somebody, if you know somebody who's struggling, tell them you need to put on Christ. And as you put on Christ, as you walk in your identity, As a true son and daughter of the kingdom, letting Christ be your identity, everything else will take their rightful place. And what doesn't belong will soon be gone. And here's the kicker. You will be that man, that woman, that will be able to, in these last days, fearlessly stand up and embrace the destiny that God is calling you into. I don't have time to go prophetic on you. I'm going to sit down. But God knows. I know that there are many of you here. That there's still more pastors and apostolic leaders here. I still see business people here. I see budding business people and people that are belonging government here. I see it in the spirit. But if you're intimidated to hear that. It's exactly why you need to step into what God has for you. Because God's got bigger fish to fry. And this world cannot be better without you. By your heads.
going to pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to say these things. I pray a blessing over this church, over your servant, Apostle Victor Nazario. Ah, God. Let there be a sense of the infusion of the presence of God in this church. A new level. Let there be new desires being birthed in the hearts of your people. Desiring more, to be more, to do more. Lord, begin to breathe on us. Push, push to the forefront your sons and daughters who need to be in the forefront. Push them out into their calling, oh God. These are serious times. And I bind fear, I bind confusion, I release faith in this place, and identity in this place. And I bless this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen.